You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Good afternoon, everyone. We're doing another deal analysis, and today we are doing a deal analysis for a fix and flip with Derek Marlin of Elevation. So the last couple ones we did with Derek were a, is this a deal or no deal that he was looking at with some clients and they were analyzing, comparing uh, what the clients analyzed, what Derek did and why they passed on those previous deals. But today, Derek, this is actually a flip that you have completed. And this is one of the best ones you've ever done. And so this is a real deal that uh, you just uh, recently completed. So glad to have you back in the studio. Yeah, Chris, thank you for having me. Yeah, so this is, uh, I think you mentioned this either to me in our previous podcast at some point, this is a half duplex in West Highlands. Yes. So just probably one of the, I know it's one of the hottest areas, probably one of the hottest areas for flipping, I would imagine too. It is. So just yep. jump into it because I'm here to learn. So is the audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is a specific deal that we did purchase. Um, so we'll go over a couple of uh, pieces of, of background information and then we'll get into the actual deal analysis. The first one is we always like to tell clients because we get this asked a lot. How do you find your deals mm-hmm. and how many deals are on versus off market? Um, on average, roughly this year, we're tracking it almost dead even 50% are on market, 50% are off market. This particular deal was an off market opportunity and it was a referral from my project manager's um, family member. And so kind of the takeaway behind that is there are great opportunities almost right under your nose and make sure that friends and family know exactly what you're doing. And it's not just professional um, sourcing that you're going through. So kind of a friend of a friend type thing and, and great opportunity for us. So was your project manager doing the right things and just letting people know, hey, I'm I'm yeah. in the flipping world. So yep. if you have anything, call me first. Yeah, absolutely. So my project manager that we've got right now, he had um, been a real estate agent and had a, and has a great construction background and so brought him on to run project management. And so, yeah, he let all of his former clients know, friends and family. And of course, this was actually from his folks. And so this was a a direct referral that obviously they knew exactly what was going on, but he made it a great point. And so did our other staff to tell people when we're changing jobs or changing fields, this is exactly what we've got going on. And anything, you know, could be an option or we'll just help somebody in a a one-off way too. And do you give uh, your team members, whether it's your team members or clients, like Mm -hmm. basically like a script or elevator pitch to like how what to say to people? We do. We've got, yeah, an, an elevator pitch. We've almost got uh, a script that we call a bird dog script. Okay. So that's kind of an old school term that um, people use for people that are out looking at properties. So, you know, quick side note, I had a guy who came to my uh, door selling pest control and he was one of the best salespeople I've encountered in a long time. And so I said, hey, by the way, if you're interested, I do real estate and we pay a, a substantial referral fee that's probably a lot more than you're making doing pest control. Are you interested? And he said yes. And so we sent him a script and also for him, since he's in the field, what to look for. And you know, you never know when you get a deal. So now we've got a guy who's a super hustler out there looking for us. And we have kind of this script and protocol of how he can source deals for us and send deals our way. And then we'll gladly pay a referral fee. And this is just something for, in this case, him to do while he's out there talking to people. If you notice, yeah. hey, there's all nice houses and now there's this dilapidated one. Right. Okay. Absolutely. So Mark. whether it's that or whether it's people more in our inner referral network, 
uh, people that we do business with. If it's somebody who's a hard money lender, we try to get them kind of a script of how they can engage on our behalf. And then we try to refer folks their way for lending. So yeah, anytime you can get a referral, it's almost like good point script and how we can keep that streamlined. And I always like to really ask these questions. I always want to take a time and just highlight it out there because, you know, I, you know, years ago, I was a, a brand new salesperson in my previous business. I had built a, a pretty big sales team. And I know some of the biggest things people, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. But when people would ask you directly, hey, what do you do? They'd often get like a deer in the headlights look and right. give out a, a stumbled response. And, I, and I've done this myself in the past as well. Yeah, me I'm too. Like, hey, well, I got to learn to actually like write out a script, customize it, and then role play with my, my salespeople to make sure they do it. And I tell all my clients, all investors out there, I mean, if you want to do, especially if you're looking for flip deals and off-market stuff, man, make sure you have a a very succinct, you know, one to three sentence, just boom, here's exactly what I do. That's you practice, that's memorable, and that you can just, like if people ask, hey, where'd you go to school? I went here. That way just comes off very smoothly and naturally. Yeah, absolutely. So no, I'm, I'm not surprised that you and your team and clients have that dialed in. I always like to highlight that because that's what, Probably helped got you this deal. Yeah, it definitely helped. And I know your deal. project manager, that, that's Daniel, right? Yep, Daniel. Yeah, he's a pro, so he definitely knows what to say as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. great. So that helps too when you've got good people working that system. All right. So um, you got the deal. Mm -hmm. Was this just for you guys or were there people also making some offers? Like how competitive was it? Yeah, it was definitely competitive. We knew there were a handful of people that were making an offer. And actually, this is another good example. We were the backup. Um, we went in oh. and uh, we ended up bidding on this in January and uh, we were actually $5,000 lower than the other offer. Um, but what we were really upfront about is we said, we put, it's kind of a, a term that we use, but we say we want to put our best foot forward. And so I'm going to make the best possible offer right out of the gate. I'm not going to try to lowball somebody and hope to get something, especially a property in this area. We knew just come out as strong as we can. And then we were really flexible. And, and when we found out and the person said, I, I, I'm not going to leave $5,000 on the table, I said, I understand. Just know that many deals fall through. Um, and of our off-market deals, probably half of those ones are second and third go rounds because something falls apart or someone doesn't stay true to their word. And in this case, the person did another inspection, came back to him and asked for another price reduction when they said they wouldn't. Uh, the seller you know, was in a good position and she was moving into her dream home and uh, and very successful professionals. So this wasn't a, a money thing per se and, and out of principle. She said, no, I'm going to go with Elevation. And we were super fortunate. So yeah, came back around almost five weeks later and and we got the deal and closed on it in March. It took them this, five weeks, the first person either. No, 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 it, it took them five weeks for them to call us oh, back. Oh, okay. We thought it was a gone, you know, yeah. situation. We had touched base. The the seller kind of went quiet. So in our world, normally that means we're just checking county records to see if it actually does sell and put them in our follow-up pipeline. And then we got a call five weeks later and we immediately said, okay, here's the deal. Many times if somebody comes back to me, I will go in a little bit less after that. Um, but in this instance, we said, nope, this is the agreement we made with you. We knew it was a good location. We said offer is exactly the same and you tell me when you want to close. And so do you know who the first buyer was? Was it a, a big eye buyer or was it just another like individual flipper or I believe was it was a wholesaler? An, yeah, I think it was an individual flipper. It was okay. not a wholesaler. This was not a scenario to my understanding where there was 10 or 12 other people. Okay. I think there were just probably two or three people because again, this person had done their research online um, and and narrowed it down pretty well. So I don't think we were up against, um, you know, another wholesaler, another eye buyer. It was another in investor, probably similar to what we do. Okay. And then talking about the property, like I know it's a half duplex in Correct. 
the highlands like and that's obviously as you know very transitionary like what yep. part of the highlands and what condition was the property in yeah so so for your viewing and listening audience we're going to put this deck on there and we've got before and after pictures so okay. we can you know highlight what the condition is um yeah it was in considered west highlands and it was really close to uh, 38th and Lowell mm-hmm. um, are the two major, major cross streets. So a ton of development going on, great part of town. And as you mentioned, it was one half of a side-by-side duplex. So there's a big difference in price point with what you should buy it for, and especially on the back end of up-down duplexes where you have a unit on top and then a basement unit that you go in. This was a beautiful classic side-by-side unit where it uh, looks like one large house. You've got a partition wall in the middle dividing it and you have two really nice separate front entrances each person has their own nicely fenced off yard and then there is a combined two-car garage structure each owner had one half so it's a super great classic layout for a property and what was the you know not the half you bought but the other half mm-hmm. what type of shape was that and was that already a, a remodeled highlands property yeah that one was really interesting we got overly excited because we anytime we are getting into a project we quickly meet every one of our neighbors we pass out flyers mm-hmm. telling people what we're doing um and then in this instance it was actually it shared water so we needed to actually meet the neighbor because we knew we were going to split the water bill mm-hmm. because of the party wall agreement uh, which is an agreement that says it's one water line coming into these homes that were built you know almost 100 years ago you're splitting the water line you don't have two separate water Uh, readings. And we found out that they were about to list the property. So of course, we were jumping at the opportunity to try to buy the second half. Um, Gives us a ton of different options. But we found out they'd already selected a real estate agent to list it. And they literally were listing it. I think we finally got a hold of them on, let's say, a Wednesday, and they were listing it the next day. Oh. So they put it on the market. They had their unit as two bedroom, one bathroom upstairs, which is the current condition of the one we bought. Um, they had an unfinished basement. The one we bought had an unfinished basement. And that was super helpful. Again, we had already gone under contract. And so we were set to close, I believe, about a week later when they listed. Um, but it really helped us. And we'll talk about it more here in a second of how we decided what to do in the rehab. Um, but the condition of their home was somebody probably flipped it about five or six years ago. Okay. So nice condition upstairs, um, pretty open layout for this type of property. Cabinets were a handful of years old. Um, you know, you can almost tell by backsplash and tile layout when it was flipped. And so stuff that you saw three or four years ago, that's what they had put in and then an unfinished basement. So we actually had an amazing comp right next door and then a couple in the area to know what we were going to sell it for in the back end. Great. Well, ask, I'm curious what that sold for, but I'll save that yeah. for the analysis. Yeah. Um, so what did the takedown and timeline look at just for like price and terms on your buy side? Yeah. So this one was, we always are super flexible. If people need to close quick, we can close as fast as seven to 10 days. Really the only preclusion there is we just need the title company, the time to have them run proper title. Yep. Um, I know some people say they can close in a couple of days. I guess they're taking it and not doing a title search. We need to do that. So we I tell people- I think that'd people, be insane not to do a title search. I think like, that would be insane too. Wait an extra two or three days and- yeah. Do it. Yeah, that's not worth it at all, yeah. in my opinion. And most people don't need to sell that fast. And um, and so we said, hey, we can do it fast. In this instance, she actually was waiting for a certificate of occupancy on her new place that she was moving into. So she said, you know what? I kind of need some flexibility, guys, because I don't want to have to 
live in a hotel or I believe she had family in the area. And so we said, yeah, no problem. You, you know, I don't want it to drag on a couple months because the market dynamics can change a little bit. But in this one, she said, no, I think we should be good with just kind of a classic 30-day close, Okay, which is great for me because then I get plenty of time to line up my contractors, dial in our fixture and finish package. I mean, we can really hit the ground running and, and she wanted 30 days. And so we said, of course, no problem at all. So you first looked at this property... In January. January. So you came back around in mid-February? In mid-February. Okay. And then you're under contract, so you're planning on closing around, around mid-March. We cl- Yep, exactly. We closed okay. March 16th. So right when COVID was hitting everything. Right okay. when COVID was hitting. So that was an interesting one where we had analyzed it pre-COVID, were under contract and about to buy it right as things were just starting out. So there's some other interesting things that we'll talk about here in a second, but it was a kind of a crazy time of when we were acquiring it part of me thought, you know, do we tell them about COVID and and kind of say, hey, there's some uncertainty here, but I just said, nope, just stick to your word, pay for what what you said you were going to pay for. Um, And then, you know, be really cognizant on the back end of how much money we put in it and how fast we can go. And so you bought for... Three fifty five, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Three fifty five was the purchase price. That was a net purchase price. So, um, as in all of our off market deals, no one has to pay any commissions. Typically, we pay all of the closing cost. Um, but actually, this was a great one, and we almost pride ourselves in being able to kind of solve problems for really um, actually savvy sellers. And so, um, our client was a, or is an attorney, and and she wanted to close at land title. Um, we've got a good relationship there. They're one of the larger title companies mm-hmm. around. And so we said, great, we'll use our closer, Amy, over at that one. Um, she even, you know, she's a, a different style of attorney, not a real estate attorney. So normally we don't have attorneys get in our deals, but we're very kind of savvy in how to negotiate with them. And so we said, no problem. Um, she had a real estate attorney review our investor contract and had- And this is different than the Colorado contract? Correct. Okay. Definitely different, shorter, more straightforward. Um, but there is a lot of, uh, you know, the, the typical 17-page DORA contract that traditional real estate agents use. This ended up becoming somewhere in the middle. We ended up adding about two pages worth of kind of title information and some clarification mm-hmm. verbiage. But- Again, for this deal, and they weren't unreasonable requests. And so we said, hey, well, hey, if that's what we're going to do, will you split the closing cost with us? And 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 I said, I'll pay for it if you want to kind of keep it as is, just to kind of pay for my attorney's fees to double check what we were receiving. And everybody was super agreeable to work with. And so we said, no problem, and kind of added two pages to the contract. Everybody was happy and closed at land title. Great. Well, I mean, you know, I, I have friends that are attorneys, so I know we probably got some listening out there, but... Mm-hmm. When you deal with attorneys, that's that's what happens. And exactly. luckily this was not a huge headache. Yes. Because sometimes they can go down rabbit's holes and be yes. like, okay, we don't need to debate the word reasonable for three days. Right. Um, so right. it sounds like it actually worked out really, really well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are times we've had it come up, you know, a handful of times over the last five or six years yeah. where people try to shred your contract. Uh, again, I, I just tell people we've used it hundreds of times and it's worked really well. And you start to get the sense that maybe this isn't a deal for both sides. And, and then you at that point say, Either we'd love to work with you and, and we can't keep bending over backwards um, or not maybe just exposing ourselves. And so you kind of get a sense of that. This was super reasonable and we just said, no problem. They feel comfortable, we're comfortable, and, and everybody's happy. And when you say, I'm reading your slide here, you paid the majority of closing costs. Is that just the you know $400 closing fee at uh, at land title you're talking about or is that other? Because you know closing costs is such mm-hmm. a 
ubiquitous word of what it is. What do you when you def, when you say that? What's your definition? Our definition in our traditional deals is we pay literally every penny of closing cost. So we pay that fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars worth of all in expenses because we want okay. our sellers to truly know here's your net profit, here's your net number. Your we call it the take you know the uh, hit the bank account number. Okay. Rather than you're right because there are a lot of different nuances. So for that we typically on our cash deals on our investor deals, we pay everything. In this specific example, we ended up splitting it about 50-50 because they wanted to, again, kind of add a little more complexity, use their title company, and we said, no problem. But yeah, traditionally, when somebody calls me and says, hey, can I have an offer on my house? No problem. It's the cash number and the full, you know, fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred. And that's including like the, the title policy that traditionally the seller Correct. pays for in Colorado. Okay, so all Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah, the title policy, the fees to the title company, yeah. the record search, the HOA uh, document fees, the prep fees, the rush fees, whatever it is, we pay it because it's just more streamlined for our clients. And I've noticed, I mean, you know, from a lot of my friends, is just when you, when you say you'll pay closing costs, which is usually you know, minimal. Hey, you know, a thousand, two thousand yeah. dollars, like. The perception for most yes. buyers is just, oh my gosh, this is going to be thousands and mm-hmm. or tens of thousands of dollars for a few. It's like, oh, what an extra $500, $1,500. It is. And then for us, the big rationalization is on the back end, then I can do what's called a hold open title policy. Oh, yeah. So for your listing audience, that is to where I'm paying a little more up front, but then my rate that I pay on the back end, which as a traditional seller, you are paying those costs, is a fraction of what it would be if the seller paid up front. And then we have to pay on the back. We're almost going to pay as much because you're typically using two different title companies. So for us, our all-in costs are, let's say, $2,000. If I'm saving money up front and they're paying and I'm only paying $500, but I've got to pay $1,500 on the back end, we'd rather front load that. Like you said, the perception of value is there. I'll cover $1,500 up front and I know it's going to cost me $500 to $1,000 on the back end. That's a no-brainer for us all day. And the title companies love it because we double end everything with them and build those relationships. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's a great point. Yep. All right. And so the next bullet point on your slide is the inspection process. Mm -hmm. And you said you're using your your project manager and your GC. Correct. Um, But when you do this with your contract, is it similar to like the Dora contract where you can terminate if you can't, if you see something that scares you or, or is your earnest money hard when you put the offer in? That's a great point. Ours is a bit of a hybrid. So for us, we are doing it so that um, we do have the ability to terminate because we want to make sure we look at the sewer scope and then we want to make sure we looked at the structural condition of the home. So we really do kind of clear typically everything else out up front and we're we're really up front with the seller and we say, "Hey, we've done an initial inspection. Here's our number. We agree we go under contract. All we're going to really do is look at the sewer scope and see if there's any structural problems. Um, if those do come up, then we tell them you don't have to make any repairs. We just want to buy it as is less what it's going to cost us to do a sewer repair or replacement or structural. Um, clients at that point, they also have the ability to say, I don't want to sell it for that amount of price reduction. And that's okay too. And we both terminate or 95% of our clients say, okay, that's reasonable because actually we're getting wholesale pricing from contractors. And so let's use sewer line as a good example. If they just called off the street and said, hey, I need a new 75 foot long sewer line with a tap to the city main line, that's going to be, you know, a 10 to $12,000 expense. We typically get that for, you know, six to $8,000. Okay. And so we tell them, hey, that's the price we're looking to get in a reduction. We're not going to have the retail price. And then many times, 
you know, it's a month out. So we just say, here's the price and we'll less it out by that much. So there is the ability to, to both terminate, but uh, the vast majority of what we've already done in our inspection, we're in good shape and budget accordingly. It's just those two major things that we can't see on the first go round. Great. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then you, we talked about you're, you're doing cash by 30 day close for flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming on the inspection process, no major stuff popped up? Yeah, no major stuff popped up. Everything looked good. We ran the sewer scope. Um, That one looked good. Since it was an unfinished basement, it was in really, really good shape. So on this one, I didn't um, need to bring our engineer. We were totally comfortable with the way that everything looked. Oh, because you just walk it and see the walls? Yep, you walked it and you could see the walls. Their crawl space was unfinished and it was in amazing condition. So it wasn't full of junk that No, it wasn't too bad actually. We've done that before where we've said, hey, we gotta move the junk out of the way and then inspect it. Um, because you can definitely get get caught mm. on that type of scenario. But this one was super straightforward. Bought it with cash, 30 day close. I mean a lot of times people need flexibility. We just bought a property in um, Centennial on Wednesday and the sellers needed flexibility to move out. And so we just closed on Wednesday and then they have a 30 day rent back. So we'll, we'll kind of span the gamut of, you need to sell it in 10 days, cool. You need it kind of normal, 30, fine. You want to leave all your stuff, cool. You want to rent it back for 30 days, you know, no problem. You know, be flexible is our goal. All right, so now we're looking at before photos. Mm-hmm. I know for people on the podcast, before photos are, are really tough to see, right. but check the show notes and we will, um, you can see them on there, but base looks like the original hardwood flooring in there. Yep. I mean, those cabinets are what, from the 50s? Yeah, they are um, leprechaun green and they're from the 50s. And it's really, it's got great (laughs) structural components, but it is super closed off too. So um, it's got great details that they, the original folks didn't rip out of the house, which was great. But yeah, super, super dated and, and hadn't been touched in quite some time. And this looks long and narrow. Correct. Is that the, out, uh, the, the layout of the house? It's long and narrow? It is. It's long and narrow. It is exactly 1,000 square feet on the first floor or above grade, as people call it. And this one was just under 500 square feet uh, unfinished in the basement. So the, the, it was kind of your classic half duplex layout where you walk in, you've got uh, a really neat little living room. Uh, in this specific example that your folks can jump online and check it out, it had all the beautiful detail work of a hundred year old home. Yeah. It has cool built-ins. It's got little partitions that almost define a dining room space. And then you've got your classic kind of closed off kitchen that's not configured well in the back. And then you go into um, what many of these have added on the fifties is a little uh, ability to get down into the basement. Um, and we'll talk about it here in a second. We love to, to use those and turn them into really cool office spaces and two bedrooms on the top level and one bath. And this is the the kitchen. I'm, you guys can see, but this is the kitchen back here, right? Correct. Behind this wall. Okay. Yep. Kitchen. Yeah. So some people call it a shotgun style because back in the day, this is what someone told me. It could be a total lie, but it sounds good. Um, that you could literally walk in the front door, shoot a shotgun and shoot all the way through the entire house and it would go out the back. So you're- Sounds legit to me. Sounds legit. I mean, why not? I don't know. I'm sure somebody's laughing at me that told me that a real estate agent back in the day. Um, but it is <laughs> yeah. that classic format where you just walk in and it's this nice flow from front to back um, of your main living space uh, on one side of the house. The other side is kind of your classic walk into a hallway and you've got two nice size bedrooms with some closet space in the middle and a hallway bathroom in the middle, no true master. And this is the way a ton of these properties are from roughly- the 1900s through about the 1940s. They didn't start really changing the layout until yeah. about the 50s. Okay, that's that's typical for that yeah. vintage. So. Yeah, and yeah. it's pretty. I mean, it's super nice. 
Yep. So that's kind of the before picture. Okay. And then do you have a scope of work anymore? I don't want to, I want to start asking questions what you did. Yeah. I'm not sure when you're jumping into that. Yeah, we'll jump into that okay. here in a little bit. Um, and actually that's a good follow-up. We're happy, to, this would be a good one that if people want to follow up with us afterwards, we can share the scope of work because this one was, um, we'll talk about high key points to keep it um, you know, on time, but we we really did literally ev- virtually everything in this, on the interior of this property. It was a, a heavy lift for us, which we like for amount of rehab. So kind of that's the, that's the befores. And then we just went to another slide. Well, like I mentioned, completely unfinished basement. This one did, um, the margins oh, worked well. Oh, but those well. are tall ceilings. They are, they are seven foot ceilings. So that was wow. almost seven, maybe at seven and a couple inches they were, cause I'm six feet tall and I had plenty of headspace. So when we see that amount of headspace, we were super pumped that we know we can finish the basement. Yeah, you don't see that too often in these older Denver homes. There may be enough so you can like walk in there. Yep. Slink a little bit. Yep. And then if you're a drywall or finish it, you're in trouble. Yeah, you really are. I mean, you can have conforming bedrooms. And uh, in this example, we'll talk about it here in a second. We made a conforming master suite downstairs and con- and converted that back area to a really neat office and, and way to get down into the basement and um, a nice kind of clean slate to work with that it was overall in decent shape. The furnace was in a little bit of an odd spot. The hot water heater was shot. So we had to replace that. Uh, we had that classic big, super heavy utility sink in the basement, but that gives us a good starting point for plumbing. So yeah, at least it's plumbing. half of it is kind of in somewhat in the right configuration. And that furnace, I mean, looks fairly new and in good shape. Is it mechanical is pretty good on the yeah, property? Yeah, the furnace was really good. The hot water heater, we had to redo that one. Whatever, that's not much. Um, the electrical panel was in good shape on this one and the roof was actually in good shape. Hmm. So overall, it was pretty decent. And then they had the beautiful vintage windows that were original. You had to put a lot of elbow grease into those to make them really functional, but we we don't want to take those out if we can save them because it just keeps with the character of the home. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, you know, you still spent a good chunk of change kind of bringing those back to life, but we didn't change out the windows for brand new windows as far as major systems go. All right. So now we're going to the after photos. This yeah. is the upstairs. So looks like, did you take a, take down the wall in the kitchen? We did. Okay. So describe it. I'm going to describe it for you guys listening out there. So, you know, going into the kitchen from the dining area was just, you know, a, a door in the middle mm-hmm. with a wall Looks like you basically knocked down the whole wall and put in a eat-in or a, a, a counter yes. slash dining table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing about half duplexes is that there are not as many structural load-bearing walls in the kitchen area. So it's more of a classic demo. You don't have to put a beam in there on this specific example because the load is carried from the walls that divide your living space and your bedrooms and then the middle wall between the two buildings overall and then your exterior wall. Hmm. That's pretty typical for for half du- or duplexes like that? Okay. Yeah, it, it definitely is. So you've got to spend a little bit of money, but you're not removing uh, the load-bearing wall walking into the kitchen. And then you can get a true open, truly open concept. So when you walk in your front door into your living room, you can see living room, dining room, completely into kitchen. And then we're really big proponents of creating that breakfast bar um, at a regular countertop height. I don't like to take it up that extra two feet. We like to have it one big long slab of quartz so that you can fit two or three stools. People can kind of entertain and hang out. Um, gives you a ton of prep area, extra countertop space, and then really nice layout to get all of your um, appliances in 
in this specific example, the other thing that we did is if you remember the the bright green um, cabinets, mm-hmm. we flip flop the layout. So we actually moved the um, the uh, range or your stove and your microwave to an existing wall so that you don't have to run venting out the top roof because when you're cooking on a regular range, your microwave's going to suck up, you know, that bacon grease and all that kind of stuff. And then we wanted the sink by the window. So we did incur some costs, but I think it really made the layout way better. So we flip-flopped the way that the current um, structure was set up. So you've got your nice, you know, dishwashing looking out the, the nice open windows and then um, didn't completely, we debated taking out the back wall, but it, it created this nice kind of partition to what made an office. Um, so we actually kept, we took out a little bit of the wall, but we didn't completely knock it down. So we could also add extra cabinets too. So right in the back, you got that little office area and that's where the stairs mm-hmm. go down the basement. Correct. What about laundry? Yeah. Laundry uh, was, is in the basement. Okay. Yep. Laundry's in the basement. All right, yeah. So these photos look great. So I mean, uh, they lose some stuff, but just you know, st- you know, standard brand new kitchen. It's like you redid the flooring. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of went with. Um, we've got five different fixture and finish packages. This one we went with our black contemporary finish. So we've got kind of the classic white kitchen cabinets. We've got black hardware on the cabinetry. We've got black lighting. Um, we went with a, a cool modern um, half. Um, you know, stair rail downstairs that's black steel rather than doing it with wood. And then with this one, we kind of went, um, we'll talk about it more of where we decide to kind of push the price and grow the budget based on where we think we can sell this thing. We went with the nicest quartz that we could get that really neat white quartz that has the gray vein mm-hmm. run running through it. Um, so you kind of have the best of both worlds in this type of product where you've got beautiful old world details of built-ins and storage area and shelves and uh, fireplace, but then you've got brand new kitchens, brand new systems, brand new bathrooms. So and more photos, a little office nook. Oh, and this is what we talked about. I forget on one of the, I think we did a quarterly update mm-hmm. podcast. You talked yep. about that. one of the things you pivoted for COVID was you were doing right. some like built-ins or office areas mm-hmm. since everyone was working from home now. So that's that's where I mentioned that. So that's where I remember it. So you, this is the office area you built back here. Correct. The perfect spot for a, a desk. Um, and then that looks like the master bedroom in the basement because I see a, a, an egress window down there. That is. Uh, you know, the, we kind of debated there was maybe enough room to squeeze a half bath upstairs, but you weren't going to get a classic master. And so even though it's not ideal to have your master in the basement, the configuration of this particular property was in the backyard at ground level, you had a really nice door that you could also Airbnb out the basement. So Mm. if you really wanted to, you could have actually closed off that. That's the other reason why we didn't completely blow out that back wall is you could frame in a door and you could separate that off. So we kind of sold that as an add-on if people want to do that in the future, or it gives you the ability. we, We actually dropped, there was an existing window um, but it was actually less expensive to do a double egress or doubly wide egress window that almost made this feel garden level rather than true basement. And then we put a master bathroom in the basement. Um, and then there's there's a little extra square footage in there that people can check out in the show notes. And again, ta- we've talked about doing extra staging. We did the office. And this one had had a little entry area rather than it feeling like wasted space. We put extra shelving in there. Um, space for a washer and dryer. We put in the extra table, the Keurig, um, chairs, tables, little stuff to almost make you feel like, okay, you could Airbnb this bottom unit out and and charge a nice chunk of change because it's all 
brand spanking new. Oh, yeah. So you turn this into a, a two and upstairs. Now it's a three, two, because you had the master Total. bedroom and mm-hmm. the master bath in the basement, right? Okay. Yep. Yep. So we went from two, one and unfinished to three bedroom, two bathroom, 100% finished. Oh, yeah. That's going to make it and just so more people want to buy a three, two yes. versus a two, one. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of inventory in that area in that close to price point that was a three, two. It was a bunch of two ones or you started to lean towards single family homes and there's a huge jump in price. So that was another reason why it kind of, when we saw the height of that basement, we saw what's going to happen with the sale next door. Then we knew that we 100% wanted to finish out the basement. All right. So now we're looking at your spreadsheet and this is the, your deal analyzer that you put together. Uh, so if you guys want to see it, check the show notes. And of course, you can always download off the off the website or, or email Derek to grab a copy. So walk us through here because I see a couple green mm-hmm. for your metrics and a yep. couple yellows. Correct. Yeah, so this is what we analyzed it and we went in buying it and this is what we would have been happy with. So it's a $355,000 purchase price. We had a lower rehab budget because we thought, you know what, let's just only do the top floor keep the rehab a little lower, keep the timeline lower and and quickly move through it. So we had a $58,500 rehab and then our ARV was selling it right around 500. Um, kind of flirted thinking that we'd maybe sell it for a touch less, a little bit more, but overall the number was 500. And again, we purchased it on March 16th. The scope of work was in kind of the initial thought process, full rehab on the main floor, keep the two bed, one bath layout, kind of minor stuff on the exterior. Overall, it was in really good shape. Um, the, the roof was in really good shape. Definitely needed some landscaping work. And this is kind of an interesting caveat. We had it pegged for a 100-day project because we were going to pull permits, knowing that we were going to change the, around the kitchen configuration and yeah. remove some walls. Um, we'll talk about it in the next slide of kind of what ended up happening. Um, the way we got to the ARV was there were eight or nine really solid comps and we had this nice little sweet spot that we were well below what a single family property was selling for. Um, but we actually weren't that far above what a condo was selling for. So we thought, you know what, this is going to be a good project. Um, you're right. We have two greens. So we had projected profit right at 50,000. So it's actually 50,000 and $33. If you're looking at the spreadsheet, the one that we're always super keyed in on is the dollars per day, which is how much net profit are we making divided by the number of days. So it was $500 a day um, net profit. So that's definitely green for us. The ROI box is yellow. And that's a little bit of a function of spending a little more money to buy it, spending a decent amount of money to rehab it, um, and not having a monstrous spread kind of brings your ROI down a little bit. So in this example, it was an 11.12% return on investment. But when we look at overall deals, if there's a spread of about $140,000 from what we buy it to what we sell it for, that's usually a green light for us. So this is right in that wheelhouse. Again, we're buying it for $355. We're thinking we're going to sell it for $500. That's right on the money for you know our normal deal analysis. And then one, because this is, I think this is the way your spreadsheet said it shows mm-hmm. client profit and elevation profit. This was just your own flip. This is not a partnership flip, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, we use the same spreadsheet for us and for our clients. And so this would be a good example that if a client had brought us this property, then we do that that net profit and we split it 50-50. Okay. That sell changes a little that let's say a client is borrowing hard money. They're going to assume their hard money costs. So it, it, it kind of throws it a little off from a 50-50 split. But yeah, this was a company flip that I bought with my company. We kept it and we sold it. 
And so I see your your holding cost mm-hmm. at five percent, which is kind of like your interest rate. Yep. Now you bought it with cash. Is that money you're borrowing, or is that just the the interest rate you give for like opportunity cost? That's a great question. I've got a lot of friends that actually they use their own cash, but they do weigh the opportunity cost, and they almost want to pay themselves a return. Mm-hmm. The way that we buy is we are a cash buyer, but that's because I use a business line of credit. Okay. So to the end seller, you know, cash is being wired yep. into the title company, but I do have some um, kind of reasonable holding costs. Um, and I've just, I think we've had this discussion before. It's kind of a leverage thing. Like, would it be great to use all cash? Yes, but then my ROI actually goes down and I can't do as many projects. So I'd rather borrow on a line of credit um, at a reasonable rate than than do it all in cash. Oh yeah, leverage up. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for us, my current holding cost is 5%. Okay. Yep, on the back end. And yep. then, great, I'm curious to see what your actuals were. So then we sold this. Again, I, I want to like have that flashing disclaimer. Um, we were super excited. This is not typical. Um well, when I say that, we normally have one, in our world, this is a home run. So we'll go over the numbers here in a second. Um, but anytime you approach a six-figure profit, that's a home run in our books. We've been really blessed. We normally, on average, get about one of these a year. We never count on them. We never underwrite them this way. It's just the way things run up from time to time. So we quickly made the pivot for two reasons. We decided to finish the basement because there wasn't a lot of inventory that was that size. The second thing is the unit next door that was mirror image, uh, unfinished basement. They listed it at 449 and it ran up and it sold for 479. Oh, great. As is. So I said, no brainer, let's let's do the basement. Um, so we recalibrated, obviously our rehab budget jumped a bunch. It jumped 30,000 bucks. Cause you're at like 60,000? 50, 58. Okay. And we went up to 89 and changed, so almost $31,000. Um, we were conservative on what we thought the ARV is. We, we added an extra $15,000 to what we thought we could sell it for. Um, that was our list price. We were really thinking that it was going to be around the 525 range, but we always like to list a little bit low. And then, like we said, the scope of work was complete refinish of the basement. So we had to do a um, lift station. Um, so that you're able to put a bathroom downstairs. We had to completely refinish everything, reconfigure plumbing. Um, the interesting thing about this was, and we were really upfront, and I think this goes to the takeaway points that we'll talk about here in a second, was ironically, we actually were able to get the project done faster than what we initially planned because we ended up not being able to do permits because the city and county of Denver shut down because of coronavirus. Hmm. So I was at a weird inflection point of, oh man, do I just sit on this property and wait for the city to open up? And I'm that's not the business that I'm in. So- Well, we, they would compensate you for holding costs, Oh, right? of course. They would definitely <laughs> you pay me, probably pay double. Um, we, we, our mantra is always do permit quality work yeah. so that if a inspector walked in, you're not redoing anything, you're just losing a little bit of time and you're paying more in permitting fees. But in this instance, I didn't know if it was going to be a month, two months, three months. So I said, let's just plow ahead. Let's be super upfront with everyone on the back end. And we'll talk about that here more in a second. So we actually got this project done and sold in 86 days. And that's from close to close. That's close to close. So this was the third most profitable project that we did on a net profit basis, but this was the single best dollars per day profit because we actually made net over $1,000 a day in net profit 
because we got it done quick. And that's a huge testament to, um, I definitely think our system plays a part, but our GC just kicked ass on this one. I mean, he was phenomenal um, and and we were really fortunate to, to have him on our team. So you closed on this on the buy side in mid-March. Yep. So that probably means you closed on the sell side mid-June? Correct. Okay. Yep, it was just under 90 days. So we did this one in 86 days, close to close. Um, so the overall metrics on this one was um, we bought it projecting a $50,000 profit. We made $92,276 on this one. Again, this is the one that um, at, at many people's um, teaching academies, they say, this is how you flip. Again, this is our once in a year home run deal that, you know, 50 would be great. That's kind of our normal bread and butter for this type of project, but we were super, super lucky. The reason it happened um, is, is I think twofold. One, we listed it coming out of the lockdown on Corona when you could show properties. So that was huge. Um, we listed it a little bit low. Again, I thought 525 was a super reasonable number because there were only two properties on the market within $100,000. They probably weren't like, like great comps for that over there, but... There, there weren't. That was the thing that I got nervous about is, you know, you always play that kind of game of you want a bunch of offers and you want your price to go up. But ironically, it can't go up too high or it won't appraise. Yep. So in this one we had, and it's our record too. So we let it breathe for four days. We listed it on Thursday. We had showings Friday through Monday. We had 77 showings. We had 36 offers. Every one of them was at or above asking. Um, and the the way that we went on the back end is it sold for 567. Mm. Um, and you listed at 525? Uh, we listed at 515. Five, okay. And, and we had it run up. Um, again, we're super thankful and fortunate for that. But on the back end where we really work with my team to pick the best buyer. It's the person that ideally loves the house the most. Um, it's the person that's obviously very qualified from a financial standpoint. And then in this instance, we were then negotiating the largest possible appraisal gap, which for your listening audience is if we're under contract at 567, and actually in this instance, they put an offer in at 571. And I thought there's no way it's going to appraise for that. So they did a good job and I want to give them credit too. What we did is we said, we need the ability for our buyer to cover the gap from where we're under contract to where it appraises. Because I'm sure your audience, you know, has an understanding that if an appraisal comes in and it's low, two things can happen. Either they can just straight up terminate, they can say, we'll keep the property, but we're only going to buy it at the appraised value because that's what the bank's going to lend on it for. And so we negotiated a $35,000 gap um, or margin of safety, in my opinion, kind of throwing an investment term back out there of thinking, okay, this could actually appraise somewhere in the 530s and 540s, which I felt super confident in that. And they're still committed to buy it at 567. Um, so they said, okay, we'll agree to $35,000 appraisal gap, but we want $4,000 off the price. And I said, super yeah, fair. Yeah, take that deal. Done. <laughs> you, you know, done. Um, again, that's where you like, don't get greedy. Don't think that, oh, well, they should have paid that. No way. Just be yeah. super fortunate and happy that this is a great project, that they're being graceful and doing an appraisal gap. Kind of go with that type of scenario and run with it. So let me ask you on here. So actually, so three questions on mm -hmm. here. So you got 36 offers. Did you, once you started coming, did you go back and like shop it around and tell people to bring their highest and best or just have so many just went through that? That's a great question. So what we did is 36 offers. We went back to the top seven 
And it was, I can't believe this verbiage came out of, um, you know, my, my, in this instance, I've got two on staff members who've got licenses to sell our stuff. And they said, good news, you're one of our top seven offers. Um, which sounds insane. Again, we, we never want to be callous about this. We want to be really, really understanding because these are people who are out there looking for yeah. their dream house and they loved it and they love these houses. Um, and so at that point, they all had escalation clauses. So they were all canceling each other out yeah. um, around the 550 range is where a lot of people were maxing out. And we just said, resubmit top seven people, take out your escalation clause, just put your best foot forward, give us your best deal, your best scenario, and we're going to pick one person. We will not come back to you again, put it all on the table. And so actually the person who was at 567 came in at the 11th hour and they said they were going to do this and they came in over the top of a lot of people. Hmm, Um, And again, we all vet. I mean, I don't want to leave $10,000 on the table. We want to make sure it's the right buyer, but this person was love the property, um, good people to work with. And so all these kind of escalations canceled out. We said, put your best foot forward. They were all super tight and that was the winning one. Um, and and we were super excited and and went with that. What about profit. lending? Since I mean, lend, obviously this is, this is not a jumbo property, so mm-hmm. you went to conventional, but I'm assuming yep. you probably did extra due diligence on the lenders. We did. We did due diligence on the lenders and then we really, really pushed to get personal information on the buyers to find out what uh, industry they were in, what their job was, um, you know, all things being equal, if somebody is a freelancer, even though they might make a quarter million dollars a year and somebody is a nurse at a hospital, in this scenario, I'm going with the nurse, yeah. all things being equal. So um, yeah, we we really tried to vet the lender. We tried to vet the buyer and, and even we almost try to vet the agent. Um, all things being equal, we want to work with somebody who knows what they're doing is going to be reasonable. Um, and and again, it, we want it to be a win-win for everybody. So we kind of vet everybody as much as we can. And what about the inspection? I'm kind of jumping around here in the yes. contract prospects region. That's the first major hurdle in it the is. contract, yep. especially on the on the flip side or selling yep. side. You're using the door or a standard contract Correct. for on the for the MLS. Correct. Um, I'm assuming the buyers probably did their inspection. They did. Did they waive that? No, they did the inspection. Okay. A couple of people waived it, but they were lower in price. This was an interesting one where we were super upfront. The second we got an offer, we said, "Just so you know." This has been kind of this crazy coronavirus. We do 100% of our work to code and to the right quality, but we did not pull permits. We cannot provide those. You can look at it. We really actually, and I never do this, um, but we gave them the information for our general contractor and their website. We were at the inspection with my project manager and the general contractor answering questions so that everybody could feel comfortable. But if somebody wasn't comfortable, mm. that's okay. Yeah. We didn't want them to to buy the house. But better to be upfront about it yes. so you don't waste everyone's time. So we don't waste people's time. So the, the funny thing about this one is this is the area where it's so competitive. Every agent swears that their client loves the house and that they're only worried about health and safety. Fair enough. Every inspection report we get back, even on a completely fixed up property where we replaced everything, we still get a 40-page inspection report, um, which is a whole different conversation that we can have at some point. So what did the inspection objection look like from the, the buyers on this? For the buyers on this one, it was a lot of little things. Um, I'll give you a good example. And these are things that, again, we're happy to correct. But on the inspection objection report, it was that one of the kitchen cabinets didn't glide well. So I, I have so I have so mixed things out of it because we, I mean, we buy rental properties for our clients not to get nitpicky about that. Yes. But at the same time, hey, if you're going a 35000 appraisal gap on a high-end finished property. Yeah, true. 
how do you, because part of me is like, yeah, whatever, like take it or leave it. And they probably still take it. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, hey, cool. They want, they want to, they're paying top dollar. They want to finish product. How do you, what's your like mental discussion on that? My discussion on that is I just wish people would be upfront with us. I wish, which again, everybody's got their own negotiation strategy. If someone's trying to get a property on behalf of their client, they're going to do whatever they can to get that property. And that's fine. But if you tell me, please pick us because I'm only going to talk about health and safety issues. Absolutely. Let's go down that road. Um, do they write that in the contract? Some of them, if they're a good okay. agent, they yeah. will write that in the contract. That's what we do. And I, and I love that. And I appreciate yeah. that. Now here's the converse. Don't come back to me with that the cabinet doesn't glide well. Because the scenario is, is in the end, we've, we're happy to tweak the cabinet so that it glided properly. Like those things are actually under my scope of work with my contractor. So a bunch of those things, it's not a big deal at all. I'm happy to do that. But, but all things being equal, what frustrates me is if just be honest, just say, hey, we're, yeah, you're, you made a great point. We're paying a premium. We're doing an appraisal gap. You know, we're, we want to make sure this is a perfect product. Yeah. We really try to do all the legwork and fix it all up front anyways. So for example, in this property, we already put in a brand new radon mitigation system. We put in a vapor barrier um, for, for the radon. We replaced everything else. So we're always confident. We're thinking, well, we've done everything. So what, what could you kind of come back with besides nitpicky things? If you would be up front, I'd be happy to do that. It's a little hard pill to swallow when people praise up and down and say only health and safety, only huge major issues. Okay, no problem. And in this specific example, we had no inspection objection um, for specific inspection items, but just to be a good karmic person, you know, I fixed a handful of things that for your exact reason, they're paying a great price. We want people to be happy. Just shoot me straight up front. Just like I think they would want us to shoot them straight. Let's use the example of if, have we not told anybody, no, we didn't pull permits. They go through an inspection and say, where's the permits? And we say, oh, shoot. No, let's just be upfront. Let's yeah. be honest with one another. It's going to be way easier communication. Um, I, I think there's two sides to the story. And like you said, either just hammer us with an inspection report and, and we'll make great business decisions. And many times it's small stuff because we fix the main stuff anyways. Um, or if it's health and safety, let's just stick to health and safety. My favorite one that comes up all the time in the fall is people tell me it's a health and safety report and then they say the gutters are dirty. I'm like, well, it's fall and there's trees that have leaves that are falling in the gutter. That's not a health and safety. I'd be happy to fix a health and safety issue, but we're going to pass on that one. You can clean your own gutters. Um, what about the appraisal that came back at value? That came back at value. Nice. 567. And I was nervous about that. I mean, that's why yeah. we, we negotiated this big gap. And I think the cool takeaway from that one is um, we actually listened to another podcast and they brought up a great point and they said that if if nothing ever appraised for more, we would have this weird long period of, of non-growth and you can't tell somebody that Denver isn't appreciating um, how much it appreciates. I think that's all very, very semantic. Um, but in this example, we just told them straight away, we said, go look at the product. It's different from anything that you're going to see. So I think there's value there of a great finished product. Everything is brand new. We are way below single family comps. We are not that much far above condos. And then we told them the numbers. We had 77 showings. We had 36 offers. We have people waving inspection um, and appraisals. 
So here's what it is. Here's our company and what we do and our brand. Um, and 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 the person was very reasonable, and so, it so you appraised. met the appraiser at the property. Um, we we offered to, but okay. my agent, yeah, uh, um, talked to the talked to the gentleman on the phone and, and gave them that. We also we always send over comps too. We just say, yeah. hey, here's a bunch of comps that we used when we bought it. We used it when we listed it. Just provide them with the best possible information, and they'll make the best case scenario. Well, they're humans like everyone else. They're busy, and if you make their job easier, they're usually they appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. That's what we want. We want it yeah. to be easy. So if you provide all that data and that kind of backing up front, it helps justify versus if it was crickets, I think it's a big chance that that probably wouldn't have appraised a value. Okay. So those were my main questions. Yeah. Uh, like one thing I just remember, like what type of loan do they do? Is it 5% down conventional, 20% down conventional? Do you recall? Yeah, this one was interesting. I got a little nervous when all this was coming through is that we were only seeing five max 10% down payments. And so I was really having our agent vet these um, lenders saying, why are they only putting down this much money? Are they truly qualified? And on a number of these people, they said, you know what? They could buy this house in cash if they wanted but we're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody knows what's going on. They want to be cash flush. So they're qualified all day. They've got great credit, but they only want to put down five or 10%. And so it actually made me feel way better yeah. because all things being equal, we probably would have gone with somebody who was putting down more um, and had the ability to cover that appraisal gap. I got nervous, um, but that was by far the norm on the majority of those offers is they were lower percentage of down payments. Still conventional loans, wouldn't have qualified for an FHA, but still conventional. Well, I guess for buyers like us and like leverage and cash in the bank, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and it was a smart move on their ha behalf. Uh -huh. You know, this had nothing that you wanted to do, but a good example would be is if somebody wanted to build a garage or something, don't put that amount down, use it to build your two-car yeah. garage in the back. Yeah. All right. Um, what else? You know, I think that was pretty much it. This one, again, we're really fortunate. I think the systems really played into it, but it goes back to three things. It's location, location, location. It's a great area. So, you you know, pick a great area, turn out a great product, um, don't cut corners, and then be really upfront with people. So on the front end, we were upfront with our seller and, and it paid dividends for us. On the back end, we were really upfront with every person saying, normally we would totally pull permits. Here's our portfolio of similar rehabs. Here's our contractor's information who's licensed. Open book, here you go. And and it was good for everybody. And the buyer was really happy and we're super thankful. And you know it's something that I guess the end message is if anybody wants to do a partnership flip in the Highlands, give us a call and we will flip <laughs> your house in a hot second and would love to team up with somebody because it's just, it's such a cool area. Yeah. And and I've gotten away from it because I've gotten outbid on a lot of properties up there. Um, but this really starts to make me think, could I maybe pay $5,000 more here and there on an offer knowing what we can turn out on the back end? Probably. Can I think that every house will run up this much? No. But I mean, we, we set the comp, it's the highest in the area and now things will cascade beyond yeah. that, I think. All right. Well, Derek, I appreciate you always taking the time to do this with us. Yeah, thank you. And listeners out there, like I said, this will be, uh, you know, Derek will be doing a lot of like more routine and regular mm -hmm. fix and flip deal analyses with us. So if there's more specific stuff you'd like us to talk about or different parts of the process, definitely let us know. We're always happy to kind of dive in different topics on there. Yeah. Uh, so definitely reach out and give us feedback. Yeah. So Derek, thank you, man. Chris, thanks for having me.